Well, good morning again. Uh, bring you uh, greetings of love from your daughter church, New City Fellowship, in the Beechwood neighborhood. I know this morning uh, Eric is preaching, uh, so it's just a, a joy for me to see how our churches can continue to bless each other. I know a few weeks ago you were able to hear from Pastor Chris as well, so I'm, I'm thankful uh, that Pastor Mark has uh, allowed me to come back and uh, share uh, what God has been laying on my heart uh, from the book of Habakkuk. And that's where we are this morning. I believe the, the words of the text will be on the screen, but if you also have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. And uh, before I continue, let me just give you a few brief words of introduction about this book. It's a book that uh, is sometimes tempting to skip over in your Bible reading plan because on the surface, it just seems so unfamiliar. Uh, you, know, you know, when does this take place? You know, what, what does this have to do with uh, life in the 21st century for a 21st century believer? Well, just to give you some context, this book takes place, if you know a little bit about uh, Israel's history, uh, before uh, the nation of Judah was taken into exile into Babylon. You remember that because of Israel's sin, God decided to send these nations, Assyria and Babylon, to discipline his people and to take them into exile from the promised land. And so Habakkuk is writing about the same time as the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, you can think of the book of Habakkuk almost as a companion book uh, to the book of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is prophesying uh, right up to and even a little after Jerusalem is conquered by Babylon. And this book, Habakkuk, was written during a time of transition from one superpower, Assyria, to another superpower, Babylon, which was as equally powerful and equally evil to the people of Israel. And the tone of the book is largely very dark. Uh, there are not a lot of verses in the book of Habakkuk that we would want to put on a coffee mug or on a magnet on our uh, refrigerator. Uh, it's a very honest book that looks at the oppression of evil in the world that God's people experience. And uh, if you could take, if I could give you one theme for the book as a whole, it would be this, God's justice will prevail. God's justice will prevail. That's where the book of Habakkuk ends in a very beautiful way. But the way God takes Habakkuk through to that conclusion can seem long and tortuous, as it often is with us as well. How is God's justice going to prevail in such a dark and sinful situation? Let me give you, a, a, as well, a few reasons why you should be familiar with this book, apart from the fact that it's in the Bible, and the Bible is all breathed out by God and is profitable for us. Um, but there are two reasons uh, I can think of, among others, that we should be familiar with this book in our own time. Uh, number one, our, our broader culture as a whole 
And in many ways, our church culture is going through a time of transition. Uh, with the political unrest, with COVID and its effects, uh, with realizations that in many ways the church has been complicit in sin in this world, we're going through a, seri a serious transition. And it's not really clear where God is taking us and what that's going to look like. And so Habakkuk is good for this period of our world. But number two, Habakkuk, and especially how Habakkuk wrestles with his questions, it gives us a model of honest faith. Honest faith. And what I mean is faith with two, two eyes wide open, recognizing that while God is in control, this world is still very broken, is still very evil, and is still very unjust. And so we, like Habakkuk, need to be brought to that place where we can say, I believe the Lord will prevail even in this dark and oppressive world. Before we, well, actually, let me, let me read the text. And I just realized I left my Bible down here. Everyone hold tight. Right, we are going to read God's word now. I believe uh, I'm to invite you to stand up if you're able for the reading of God's word from Habakkuk chapter one. <clears throat> the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. And now the Lord's words. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces up forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that in these few minutes we have together, we need your help. We need great help to be able to hear your word, to take it to heart and to let it actually change the way that we see 
things in the world and the way that we do things in the world. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me as, as I preach and you would help all of us as we listen to what you have to say. Would you lovingly challenge us with this book in these next few weeks? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is a term in psychology that many of you have probably heard of before. Uh, it's this term projection. Uh, this is a term that means uh, when you look at someone, you assume that the way they think and feel and act is exactly the same as you. Uh, you are projecting your feelings or your thoughts onto them. Uh, and I would uh, venture to say that because we live in a broken and sinful world and we have sinful hearts, we are constantly tempted to do that to God. Uh, we are constantly tempted to project our own attitudes and the ways that we want to do things onto God. But as we know from Scripture, His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. In this text, this begins to happen to Habakkuk. God confronts Habakkuk with a picture of who he truly is in this world. And if there's one idea I want you to take home with you uh, on Monday morning and through the rest of the week till next Sunday, it's, th it's this. God is at work in a dark world. God is at work in a dark world. And there are three things uh, built on top of that that we can see in this text. God is at work in a dark world, therefore, he knows what's going on. God is at work in a dark world, therefore, he's in charge of what's going on. And lastly, number three, we are called to wrestle with this truth. We are called to wrestle with this truth. So first of all, God's at work in a dark world. Therefore, he knows what's going on. And we're actually going to start looking at this text in verse 5, which is the answer uh, to Habakkuk's questions. And what we see here is that God pulls no punches in his description of the evil of Babylon. One way to think about Babylon as God describes, describes it, and by the way, the word Chaldeans is another word for the name Babylon. One way to think about this is that Babylon is like the technology and might of the U.S. military as it is today combined with the evil ruthlessness of Nazi Germany in World War II. That's a good way to think of how Babylon is to the nations it conquers. Brutal, abusive, sparing not even women and children. It is a brutal nation and God is fully aware of the character of this nation that is oppressing his own people. This country, Babylon, doesn't care what other nations think. It doesn't respect the Geneva Convention. 
There may be some parallels in our own world. Uh, We can think of one nation in particular that doesn't seem to care what the rest of the world thinks, what it does as it attacks the country of Ukraine. Their might is their God. It is clearly an idolatrous nation that worships itself. It is its own source of justice and rightness. And God knows that because of Babylon, because of its oppression of the people of Judah, justice and law is paralyzed. Another way to think of that is it, is it has been numbed. It has lost its effectiveness seemingly because of Babylon's oppression. It's not exactly clear what Habakkuk means when he says that justice is going forth perverted. Uh, he's probably talking about judicial cases in the courts of Judah. But whatever the case is, because of Babylon's oppression, justice is being twisted in the land of Judah. And perhaps we can even see in this a foreshadowing of how the law, even the perfect law of God, by itself is ineffective to change the world. God needs to do something to the world and to the human heart for the world to actually be changed permanently. And we are seeing even a little foreshadowing of of even the limits of the law. Even the law of God. And I I would suggest to you this morning that this description coming from the lips of God himself is comforting. Why why is that? How could this brutal description from the lips of God about Babylon be comforting? Well, let me put it to you this way. Do you, all of us, as we go to the doctor, we want a doctor who knows the difference between heartburn and a heart attack, right? We want a doctor who can give us a full and accurate diagnosis to what is going on in our bodies. In the same way, God is giving a full, robust picture of the evil that is going on in this world and that Babylon is presenting to Judah. God is at work in this dark world and he knows what's going on. God knows, he knew of the evil oppression of Babylon and he knows about the evil that's happening in our world today. So, so what are you supposed to do with this truth this morning? Uh, that God knows what's going on. I'm glad you asked. Uh, as, you, as you go home today, here, here is one thing uh, that you should do with this truth. Meditate on the fact that God knows what's going on. Meditate on this fact. And what do I mean by that? I think there's a beautiful illustration from... Uh, uh, deceased pastor Eugene Peterson, he once described the term uh, meditation using uh, the picture of a dog gnawing at a bone. And the dog was trying to get every little bit of bone marrow and, and meat off that bone, just, just gnawing away at that. And that's a good uh, visceral description of, of what we are to do with these truths that we hear. Uh, we, are, we are to take time uh, to, to chew on, on this truth that God knows What's going on? And so as you're scrolling through your phone and you see, the, you see the news that's going on, maybe you're tempted to doom scroll like me. You know, what, what's, what are all these horrible things that are happening in the world? 
we keep in mind, God, God knows what's going on. He, he can see the war that's happening. He can see the pandemic. He can see the injustice in this world. He knows. He knows what's going on. When in sometime this week, for those of you with kids, when you can't get your kids to take off their clothes and change into their pajamas or or you and your spouse have had a fight and you're arguing about the same thing over and over. God knows what's going on. You see, it's, it's in those moments, right? Whether it's at 8 a.m. or 3 a.m. in the morning when the rubber meets the road and that we're, we're meditating, we're, we're soaking in this truth really pays off because we, are, we become conscious that God is aware of what's happening right now. And he's aware not only of, of the evil that is happening to you, but he's aware of the evil of your own heart. And he has promised to work in and through that. And so meditate on the fact that God is at work in a dark world. He knows what's going on. But number two, even more, God is at work in a dark world and he's in charge of what's going on. And this is where this is where it gets interesting. This is look at what God says in verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Screech. Full stop. All right? That's that's intense. Don't skip over that. I am raising up the Chaldeans. What, what is going on? How could God be in charge of the success of this evil nation? This, this is exactly what Habakkuk is so disturbed by. He is wrestling with what we see on almost every page of Scripture, which is the mystery of, on the one hand, God's sovereignty the fact that he ordains everything and yet human beings are responsible for evil. Let me, let me read to you a very short passage from our denomination's uh, confession of faith because it's very helpful as we approach this, this topic that is so often misunderstood and misapplied in the world. This is from chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It says, God from all eternity did freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Okay, so that's God's sovereignty. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. So what that is saying is that while God ordains everything, he is not the author of sin. And you know what? We don't know how to put that all together, but we know the Bible says it, and we know that it's true. Human beings are responsible for their sin, and yet God is not the source of sin. You see, this is not really an explanation of this doctrine. It is a description. We can describe what the Bible says, but we can't fully explain it. And that can be hard for some of us. We, we often have a hard time receiving things that we can't explain. You see, we as human beings, we highly value our intellect. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, we want to be able to understand everything. 
But sometimes when the Bible describes God, it just describes just enough for us to trust him, just enough to believe in what he says. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, I'm going to give you a macro-level example and a micro-level example of how this is actually good news for you. Now, let, me, let me read again this passage from Acts chapter 2. This is Peter speaking uh, at the day of Pentecost, and he's describing the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says this to the people in Jerusalem. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Do you see in that passage how God, in the same sentence, puts these two things, that God planned the death of Jesus to save us from our sins, and yet the fact that he was killed was an evil act. The men who killed Jesus are responsible for their guilt. And brothers and sisters, that is how we were saved. That is how we receive forgiveness of our sins. Let me give you a micro-level example that many of you can probably relate to as you look back on your own life. If you look back on your, on your life and if you've gone through some really, really hard things, and I, d I don't know what those could be, but sometimes, after enough time has passed, you can look back and see that as God led you through something, in some way you are the better for it because God brought you through that. Now let me give this caveat. Sometimes we don't know, and we'll we won't know in this world why God brought us through something. I'm not saying that uh, every situation in your life can be explained uh, you know, you can give a reason for why God brought you through that. But if we're honest and we look back at our lives, and as I look back at my own life, I can see some of what God was teaching me through that. Now, the fact that uh, I was sinning in that time and, and there were things that were wrong in my heart, that is not God's fault. That is my own sin. And yet God, in his mysterious sovereignty, led me through that period, and I learned something from it. And let me also give this caveat. We, we need to be very careful, especially as Reformed Christians, never ever to excuse evil or injustice because of the supposed good that, that was brought through it. Uh, I'm not sure if many of you know this, but there were many Calvinistic slaveholders who used to say that the reason that slavery exists is because God wanted to bring Africans over to the United States to hear the gospel. Uh, that is not something we should say. Uh, you know, whether or not God brought good from that, we can never excuse uh, our actions, our evil actions, by saying, well, God's going to bring good out of this, so let me just go ahead and do this evil action. 
Now, on that, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. Once again, this is not an explanation for God's sovereignty. It is, it is a description uh, that we see here in the book of Habakkuk. So again, you, you are asking yourself, what do I do with this information? Uh, that God not only knows what's going on in the world, he's in charge of what's going on. Well, again, this is something that is hard, but we are called to do, and it is to receive who God is from the scriptures. From the scriptures, Receive who God is from the scriptures. And this is difficult. If, if you read through the book of Habakkuk, or you read passages similar to this, and at some level, and at least not occasionally, if you're not bothered by what you read, you're probably not reading very closely. There might be something wrong with how you're reading God's word because it constantly confronts us with our own expectations of who God should be. And this is why we can be so thankful for the example of Habakkuk. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. It, it, what's the alternative to this? What, what's the alternative to a God who isn't in charge of what's going on? Who, who isn't going to bring good even out of the suffering and evil of the world? Well, we have a God uh, of the deists. Uh, if you've heard of this, this term deism, uh, it's, not, it's not philosophically held by many people today, although I would argue many of us uh, function in the world as deists. But deism was a product of the Enlightenment, this period in European history uh, in which uh, there was this high view of, of rationalism, the idea that mankind will improve itself indefinitely uh, just from reason. And they believed that God was someone who started the world going, but then kind of stepped back and, and let the world uh, fall into the hands of people. You know, it's up to you, people, to, to make sure the world's a good, you know, a good place. Well, that, that's all well and good until 100 years later and something called World War I happened. And, and our world was confronted in a brutal way with the reality of, of what a world in the hands of human ingenuity can produce. And so that is the alternative. Either we are in charge of the world or God is in charge of the world. Which, which one would we rather have? God is at work in a dark world. Therefore, he is in charge of what's going on. But lastly, God is at work in a dark world and therefore, we, as God's people, are called to wrestle with this truth. We are called to wrestle with this truth. And we've already touched on this a little bit, but let me, let me talk about it further. Look at these questions that Habakkuk asks of God. How long, God, shall I cry for help? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk is very honest with his experience of God right now. As he looks at the evil in his country, as he looks at the injustice, at widows and orphans who are being treated horribly, he asks God, why? Why is this happening? Habakkuk wrestles 
with this? Is God aware? It seems like God is, it seems like God is the God of the deists. He's stepping back and letting the world run its course and Habakkuk is saying, God, what's going on? How can you, at some level, be involved in this? And let me, argue, let me uh, say this right here. Habakkuk isn't losing his faith here. He isn't losing his faith. And this is why. Habakkuk, he has high expectations of God. He has high expectations of God. He knows God is just. God is good. God has promised to take care of him and his people. So, so why is this happening? True faith questions. I'll say that again. True faith questions sometimes when we look at the world and it's not as it should be. And so maybe this is comforting to you. If you're struggling with questions this morning, if you are bringing those before God, that is a sign of true faith, possibly, because it means you have high expectations of God. You believe God when he says, I am good, I am just, I am in charge. Many of you know the most famous part of the book of Habakkuk <clears throat> is where it ends. This is the famous declaration of faith that Habakkuk says at the end of chapter 3 where he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Brothers and sisters, that is where Habakkuk ends. But he doesn't skip forward to that too quickly. He wrestles with his questions before God. We too have to wrestle with our questions before God. What does that mean? What does it mean to wrestle with this truth that we've heard this morning? Well, let me give you two, two ways. First of all, to, to borrow a phrase uh, from the Apostle Paul, which I believe he borrowed from the Psalms, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And let me say something that, for, for some of you, may be slightly provocative. Uh, I believe that for many of us, we are not angry enough. We are not angry enough as God's people. Now, I do not mean by that that we should walk around enraged with our fists in the air constantly, attacking every, everything and everyone we see. What I mean is that all of us here become angry at injustice, the injustice we see against other people, the injustice we experience as people. And often what we do when we experience that anger is that some of us, we may explode in rage, right, and try to take matters into our own hands. That's one wrong response. But often most of us try to suppress that anger. We try to pretend that it doesn't exist. We're not honest with God about our anger. And so what happens is that anger doesn't go away. It just builds up and builds up until it explodes in some other way. 
That's not healthy either. And so what I would encourage you, and, and by the way, this is, this is not actually as much of a problem for other cultures. Uh, for many of us who grew up in, in WASP cultures, you know, uh, largely white European context, as a culture, we are not very comfortable with anger. Uh, we, we tend to high, highly value the intellect and, and controlling our emotions. Um, but Habakkuk's culture didn't struggle with that so much. And other cultures around the world don't struggle with that so much. And so we, we ought to learn uh, from our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing oppression. And may I venture to say too, if, if we even as Americans don't realize that at times, perhaps many times, other people groups have seen our nation as a kind of Babylon and how we have treated other countries, then we are deluding ourselves. And so we have to learn from other cultures who've experienced injustice. And so I would invite you to do this. Be angry before God. When you are experiencing anger at whatever wrong it, it is, bring that emotion before God because God can handle your questions. God can handle your anger. We see this all throughout the Psalms. We see this modeled for us by David. So first, be angry before God, but second, <clears throat> be patient with yours and others' questions because God is patient with you. Be patient with your questions and the questions of others because God is patient with you. I, I wonder if as we look at our churches today and, and as many people uh, are leaving the church, um, perhaps among the many reasons why that's happening is that maybe they were not shown a faith that had room for questions. You see, we are not called as God's people to answer every question. We have to be comfortable with our questions and our wrestlings and we're called to do that with other people because God is patient with our questions. And so if there are people in your life who are, <clears throat> they're wrestling with uh, the Christian faith, you know, maybe they grew up in the church and all of a sudden it looks like they're done with the church. I know if you're like me, I, I have a temptation to panic, right? You know, and I need to convince them, I need to show them that this is, you know, it's, they need to stay in the church, which is true, right? We, we want people to be in our churches. We want people to know Jesus. And yet, at some level, I have to trust that God can work in this person's heart. Maybe not on my timetable, but I can, I can be patient with their questions and their strugglings while I pray for them that God would show them the truth of the scriptures. And maybe this morning as you, as you hear Habakkuk ask these questions and you're honest, you too have questions that you're wrestling with. Maybe you're looking at your bank account and maybe the, the thought, maybe you don't let the thought rise up to the top of your mind, but part of you is wondering, Lord, are you gonna provide for my family? Are you gonna provide financially for us? Maybe you've been going on 
a series of, of dates. You know, you're, 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 you, you want to be married. You want to find a good godly spouse, but pickings are slim, it seems like. And you're, you're asking, Lord, am I going to be single forever? I, I want to be married, Lord. I, I want to find a godly spouse, but I, there just doesn't seem to be anybody. Or maybe you and your, your spouse are fighting about the same thing over and over. It just seems like a circle. Uh, and this issue, whatever it is, doesn't, it isn't seeming to be resolved. And you wonder, Lord, are, are you ever going to help me in this? I, I want a godly marriage. I want to love my spouse, but this, this keeps happening. If that's you at some level and you have those questions, I, I would invite you to, to learn from our brother Habakkuk and bring those questions before the Lord. And it doesn't mean that God is going to answer those questions necessarily, but we do know that God is in charge of this world. He invites you through his son Jesus to come to him to bring your questions at, his, at the foot of his cross. And he hasn't promised to answer it, but he has promised to be there with you in that place of neediness this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge that we, none of us here, are sufficient for these things. We need your Holy Spirit to convince us of this truth, that you are at work in a dark world, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through darkness at some level, that you would show that you are in charge. Maybe not in the way that they want you to be, but you are in charge. And you love them. And you have promised to never leave or forsake them. Lord, please give us a heart that is conscious of you, that is looking to you for help. And may we have the capacity to receive that help this week. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.